0: 2 Corinthians tonight in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. 2 Corinthians 7. We continue our study in the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. Been a little while since we've been here but we pick up our reading from chapter 7 verses 5 through 16. We will look at these verses tonight and look to finish up this chapter and begin to move forward as we consider some truths out of Uh, The scripture tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, begin reading with me verse number 5. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. For though I made you sorry, uh, sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle. Hath made you sorry through, uh, excuse me, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorried to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this same self thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea what clearing of yourselves. Yea what indignation. Yea what fear. Yea what vehement desire. Yea what zeal. Yea what revenge. In all things Ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And we'll leave off our reading there and pick up some other verses as we go forward. Here the Apostle Paul is dealing with a matter that was brought up early in 2 Corinthians. And he picks it back up here in our reading tonight. And sometimes when we consider, as we think about... Uh, the life of the Apostle Paul. And we've said very early on that Second Corinthians is one of the, very, the most transparent letters that we find in the Bible in the life of Paul. Very transparent. We see some things in Paul's life here that he's just very open with us about. And we see some struggles that he has dealt with. We consider these verses tonight. I want us to know that Paul was a man just like we are. Uh, flesh and blood, just like we are. Uh, he felt pain just like we do. He knew what suffering was all about. He understood disappointment. One thing for sure this old world was full of disappointments, aren't there? He understood what those disappointments were all about. Sometimes I think we might conclude that Paul was sometimes maybe a superhuman, or you might call him a super Christian. You really never experience the the depth of disappointment, of hurt, and of that sorrow that we often have. And and we talk a lot about the greatness of the Apostle Paul, and we should, and we do, and that's all right. We talk about the victories of Paul, and how Paul walked with God, uh, how he was a man that was used of God as a mouthpiece, both to the Jew and to the Gentile, a man of confidence, and he was that. A man of power a man of strength, durability. I mean, sometimes I think we can see Paul as being the kind of that kind of an, of an elite kind of Christian that we could never obtain. We could never get there where Apostle Paul was. Um, that somehow Paul maybe had it together all the time and, and in every circumstance. The hardships that Paul went through were nothing more than than bumps in the road we may think okay Paul yeah he had these issues but they didn't really slow him down they were just kind of little bumps in the road and maybe he just rolled over and just kept going Paul was the kind of guy who really never these things really never got to him he never got down he never got discouraged I think sometimes in our preaching and our teaching of the life of Paul we set him up as as a on display as that super christian Possessing super spiritual abilities that none of us could ever have or might ever think we could. And I believe it's right and it's true to say that Paul was one of the finest Christian men in all the New Testament. One of the finest Christians in all of the Bible. He was a standout Christian. He was certainly a superb Christian. He, God used him to, to pen much of the New Testament. His preaching is the kind of preaching that literally turned the world upside down for the glory of God. It could be said that Paul may have been, as I mentioned a moment ago, the greatest Christian found in the New Testament. But in our text, as we come to this text tonight, we've just read and we'll read a little bit more. We see that Paul was not superhuman in any way. In fact, he was super weak. Super weak in his body. Uh, He had a thorn in his flesh. He asked God to take it away, but God didn't choose to do that. The Bible tells us that here we read that he was troubled on every side. Paul by no means was superhuman. But Paul was spirit-filled. That's the difference. Somebody said of maybe it was Spurgeon or Moody one time. Some preachers who were a little bit agitated at him said, well, he's coming. But it's like... He has, thinks he's got some monopoly upon the Holy Spirit. And someone who, was a, who knew him well said, no, he doesn't have a monopoly upon the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly upon him. Amen. And I think that's the life of the Apostle Paul. He's a kind of individual that, that he hurt just like we hurt. And he went through struggles just like we go through struggles. But he was able to overcome not in his own strength, but he was able to overcome. he was able to to go through them all because Christ was with him as we consider his life. we look at back at chapter four, look at verses eight through twelve of chapter four. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in our uh, body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Look at chapter 6, verses 4 and following. But in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience in afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings by pureness by knowledge by long suffering by kindness by the holy spirit that's how he got through it by love and feigned by the word of truth by the power of God by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. We go to chapter number 11, probably one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible with regards to Paul's suffering and his hardships in his life. Chapter eleven. Begin reading with me in verse twenty-three. Ye are ministers of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and in perils among false brethren. There was no place to hide in weariness and in painfulness. In watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all these things that were without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul's life as a Christian was not an easy life. You know, sometimes I think when maybe we get the idea and we become Christians that everything, the easiness and everything in this life just becomes really easy. It's not always the case. We have an enemy that's against us. You see, before we're saved, we are in league. We have joined together with the enemy of our soul, that is Satan. We may not think that, we may not even express that from our lips, but we live it out in our lives. But once we come to Jesus Christ, he can no longer take our souls, but he'll sure try to ruin our testimony. He'll surely try to keep us from telling anybody else of that old, old story. And so we really begin to have an enemy in our life when we trust Jesus Christ in this world. We have that enemy. Paul's life was fraught with weakness and with pain and persecutions, difficulties, distresses, and near-death experiences. But through it all, through all of this, Paul learned to lean upon the Lord. He learned to draw from a well that never runs dry. If he had drawn from his own well. He would have dropped the bucket down for a, for a load of strength. Or an energy or for wisdom. And it would come up empty every time. But not when you go to the Lord and his well. It never runs dry. Paul found the grace of God to be sufficient. In all things. He found out that. In his weakness, the strength of God was made perfect. Paul had literally come to the point in his life, and we'll look at as we continue our study in 2 Corinthians, that in all the trials of his life, he said that he would rather uh, to have all these troubles, that he was willing to have all these troubles so that he might find the power of God resting upon him. Because in my weakness do I find the strength and the power of God. That the power of Christ might rest in his life. Paul could face the hardships in his own strength. And if he did, and if we do, they will destroy us. They will destroy us. Or, as Paul did, he could face the hardships in God's strength. And we have two choices tonight, just like Paul did. We can face the hardships in our own strength and guarantee the hardships will destroy us. But if we face them in God's strength, we are more than conquerors. We are victors in Christ. It does not mean that Paul was not affected by the afflictions. Again, we're going to have them. It doesn't mean we're not affected by them. That, that we're, we're, we become somewhat bulletproof. That the, the, the darts of the enemy just just bounce off. There are times when the, the afflictions come. And they do affect us. And Paul was affected. But it does mean that in the midst of them, he found comfort in Christ. We look at verse number 6 of chapter 7. Look what he says, nevertheless God that comforted those that are cast down, comforted us us comforted us by the coming of Titus. The statement is made that God comforts those who are cast down. If you are cast down tonight in the struggles, in the walk, in the trials of life, guess what you are? You're a candidate for God's comfort. That's the kind of individual that God comforts. That's the kind of individual that God comes alongside. And he comes along to lift up and to encourage and to strengthen. Paul found that. He found that in his life. And he could face those things because God was with him. And he knew to lean upon God. Paul made the statement in chapter 11. And verse number 28, if you go back with me, chapter 11 and verse number 28, and I've already made mention of it, Beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul was talking about the struggles that are on the outside, but Paul now begins talking about a whole different kind. Paul says that, they're the things that come from without, but that's the things that the world throws at us. The things that the world is out to destroy us with. Those kind of hurts. But but then he goes on to say, the care of all the churches. The care of all the churches. These are the things that he's had to deal with in the church. He's dealing with talking about those kinds of things. The things that go on in the church, he says, the, the 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 issues of of spiritual warfare and the issues of relationships within the church. Sometimes those hurt. Sometimes it's very hard. Paul here in this passage is heartbroken over shattered relationships. Shatter relationships within the church family. You know, it's so hard to have those kinds of relationships when they become severed or hurt or broken or strained within the church family. It's so hard. And yet people just continue to go forward. And, and I think sometimes we, we look outside and we see how hard the world is. But listen, the unity of the brethren is so important. So important. To let nothing come in and sever those those relationships. And yet Paul is heartbroken. Paul is nursing a, a broken heart over the church that's at Corinth. He spent nearly two years with them. He's pouring his life into them. No doubt he's won, I, I would dare say, nearly all of them to the Lord. He's established a work there. And as he looks back. How did they repay him? Well, we go back and we won't go back and do it tonight. But I remind you of the issues he's been dealing with. And particularly out of 1 Corinthians. They repay him with disloyalty. He's poured his life into him. They repay him with disloyalty. Turning their backs on him. uh, Turning to false teachers who have now come into the church. And spreading lies, and not only are they are following these people, but they're believing the lies that's being spread, and it hurts. It's relationships that are broken. Many are now even attacking Paul and his character. Few, if any, have defended him. All this has wounded Paul very, very deeply. In chapter five. Excuse me, chapter 7, verses 5 through 16. It really picks up on what Paul left off back in chapter 2. We Go with me there hold your place and go back to chapter 2. Paul really picks up on what he was talking about in chapter 2. And then from chapter, the latter part of 2 up to where we were reading tonight... In chapter 7 up to verse number 3, Paul throws in a whole lot of, uh, of additional things, but he picks up back up on a thought. If you go back to chapter 2, look at verse number 1 through 4. But I determine this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is... He that maketh me glad, but the same, but, excuse me, but the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I come I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul had written a letter to the church at Corinth. He had visited them And he says in verse number 1, I determined not to come back. So somehow, someplace and sometime, in Paul's visit to the Corinthian church, he had been hurt deeply. Something had happened very deeply that disturbed and brought disunity in the body of believers. And many would conclude and many scholars have thought that this letter that he mentions out of verse number four he says out of much affliction anguish of heart i wrote unto you with many tears this he wrote a letter to them Uh, some would say that is first corinthians first corinthians is very straightforward it's dealing with their issues within the body of christ others have said well it's a different letter that we really don't have it with us and we don't know exactly but paul tells us a bit of what it's in there. It's often been called a harsh letter or a rebuking letter. But Paul wrote this letter, whether it's 1 Corinthians or another letter, that's not of issue, but he certainly wrote it. And you could apply 1 Corinthians to that because it is a rebuking letter. And Paul was looking, he had sent that letter by way of Titus, and he was looking. To meet up with Titus. He had sent the letter. And now he was looking to meet up with Titus. So that he might know how the church would respond to that rebuke. That harsh letter that he had sent them. That he mentioned with much tears and anguish. Paul cared about how people received his message. Can I tell you sometimes as a pastor. It pains me in my heart. To think and to wonder how you might receive a message. And so oftentimes to set and to prepare a message and to think, how are people going to take this? And to go a step further and to prepare a rebuking message. Maybe a harsh message, a hard message. It's hard. Not something anyone desires to do and certainly Paul didn't want to do that. Look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 verses 12 through 13. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's, uh, to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of him, I went from thence unto Macedonia. Paul says that he was so disturbed at how to determine how this church at Corinth had received this letter that he had sent them, whether it's 1 Corinthians or not, that he says he even goes to Troas, but he, and God has opened up a door, an effectual door there of ministry, but he can't really fulfill it because he's so disturbed about this situation here. He says, I find no rest in my spirit, because I couldn't find Titus, my brother, and I needed to hear from him. I wanted to hear what was taking place. He says, From thence I go to Macedonia. Now, go with me back to chapter 7 and verse number 5. And we come back up to speed of where we are. And he says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, without were fightings and within were fears. While Paul was at Macedonia waiting on Titus for the report, he says his flesh had no rest, he was troubled on every side, there were fightings on the outside, there were fears on the inside. But again, he comes to verse number 6, nevertheless God I'm glad for those nevertheless, God. And God's got a nevertheless for you and for me. No matter what we might face, nevertheless, God. God is greater. God is able. There's nothing too hard for God. And he's got that nevertheless for us. We are not excluded from the hardness. But we are kept through the heart. Kept through it. I'm glad that Paul didn't talk about it. We just, he came to verse 5. and He talks about being troubled on every side and the fightings and the fears. And I'm glad the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't end there with the, uh, the fightings and the fears. But he finds the, the God of comfort. He finds God's comfort. God comforts those who are cast down. If those who are cast down will look to him. It's found there. It's found there. The comfort Paul needed came at the hand or the the mouth of Titus. Because he finds him there. Verse 6. Nevertheless God which comforted those that are cast down. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. So he finally meets up with Titus. And Titus has got the word. How did they receive it? The word comfort in these few verses here is used six times. The word joy is used five times in the midst of all this. Verse number seven, we find the response. Look what he got. Look what Titus came back with the response. This harsh letter. And it says, he was comforted by the coming of Titus. Verse seven, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. Titus says, I found comfort in these dear folks, in these dear saints. And they were being rebuked by this letter, but I was helped by them also. And he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, and your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. He says, I rejoiced the more. We find the response that Titus delivered Again, there are two ways they could have responded. They could have responded with resentment. Who does Paul think he is? Well, he's exactly what these people are saying he is. He's no good. He doesn't care about us. They could have responded with resentment against Paul. And that was the thing that Paul was distressed about. Or they could have responded with repentance. And that's what he got. That's the message. The message of repentance. They had chosen repentance and not resentment. Praise God. Paul's harsh letter had won their hearts and brought them back to the Lord by way of repentance. That's what he was looking for. That's what he was longing for. He says that Titus told us. He told us of your earnest desire. The earnest desire, in other words, willing to do right. An earnest desire, a willing to do right. He told us of your mourning, a brokenness over the wrong that had been committed. A willingness to do right, a brokenness over the wrong, and your fervent mind toward me. A heart to be restored. All of these things... Are part of repentance. All of these things fit. Within repentance. An earnest desire to do right. A mourning. A brokenness over the wrong. A fervent mind. The heart to restore. And Paul said I rejoice the more. They had repented from their sin. And from their wrong. And Paul was thrilled. About the prospect. That was going to come through it. We look at verse number 8. Through 10, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. What's he talking about there? He wrote it in duress, he wrote it not wanting to write it. He said, I, 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 didn't, want to, I didn't want to do this, but I'm so glad that I did. I do not repent, though I did repent. I did not want to do this, but I knew I had to do this. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. And now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. I'm not rejoicing that you were made sorry. But that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. He says, I made you sorry with this letter. I regretted to have to do it, but I'm glad that I did. I had to. Here you see a heart of a pastor. I didn't want to, but I had to. You see, to understand that the wages of sin is death. That's hard to grasp. That's hard for a a pastor. It's hard for a Sunday school teacher. It's hard for a mommy and a daddy. To just let it go. Because the wages of sin is death. It's better to be rebuked. Because this is much easier. This is much better. in, In hopes that a turn will take place. Than just to close a blind eye and let it go on like it's never happened. It's harder on the preacher to preach a a confronting, rebuking letter than it is, I think, sometimes for the people that's sitting in the pew. Let me say a preacher who enjoys confrontation is a preacher that needs to stop preaching. He needs to stop. It's never enjoyable. It's hard a true pastor at times must confront the wrong he says from verse 4 out of chapter 2 out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears I wrote unto you pastoral leadership can not be passive it cannot be compromising in a Pastoral leadership role that's passive and compromising. Compromising. There's no love in that. It may seem like there's love in that. But there's no love in a compromising pastoral role. Pastoral leadership cannot be on the other side. Dictatorship or controlling. He can't be compromising and saying that's okay. He can't be... Controlling and everything, there's no love in that either. But pastoral leadership must be balanced and biblical, it must be compassionate. Compassionate. And sometimes the best way to show compassion is to confront the sin, to confront the wrong. Sometimes that's the best way you can show the compassion. Verses 9 and 10, now I rejoice not that you were made sorrow, that you sorrowed to repentance. They were made sorry to repentance. Understand that repentance is the will of God. It's the will of God. He says, they sorrowed after a godly manner out of verse number 9. Uh, Repentance is the will of God. Repentance is the way to God. Out of verse number 10, it brought them to repentance. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. It's the will of God. It's the way to God. And where there is no real repentance, there is no real faith in the Lord. A person can, he talks about a a sorrow of the world. There's a sorrow of the world. Someone can be sorry about their sin. But it's not so much their sorrow about how their sin has affected them. Worldly sorrow. This is the kind of sorrow that says I'm, vic- I'm the victim here. I'm the one that's victimized. Sorry that we got caught. Sorry that I'm now in my consequences because of it. But he says they were made sorry after a godly manner. What is this? This is a, this is a, a godly manner of understanding how their sin has affected God. How their sin has affected somebody else. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. This is a change of mind. True repentance is the mark of a true re- believer. It is the will of God. It's the way to God. It's the work of God within the heart. All of these things are true with regards to repentance. And some teach that repentance is not necessary for salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the opposite sides of the same coin. Faith will bring about, true faith will bring about repentance. The progress is obvious here in the passage. There's the confrontation that Paul brought about. Which brought about the sorrow. Which brought about the repentance. Which brought about the salvation. It's the the progress. You can see it in the passage. Repentance is not merely changing one's mind about who Jesus is. But it's changing one's mind about their own sin. About who they are repentance is not a human work that some people say some people say well there's no need for repentance and salvation it's it's a it's just a work no it's not that at all but it's a work of grace it's not a human work it's a work of grace that God brings about in the heart brokenness over the sin. And in verses 11 through 15, and I won't take time to read them, but let me just give you a couple bullet points out of it. Paul gives some evidences of true repentance. He mentions out of verse number 1, For behold, the same self thing that you sawed after a godly sword, what carefulness it wrought in you. First of all, the evidence of true repentance, there's a carefulness that comes with true repentance. It was wrought in them. This idea of carefulness is that of diligence. Now that I've turned from my sin. I'm going to be careful that I don't go back to my sin. A carefulness not to go back. He said there's a clearing involved. He says out out of verse number 11. The guilt is removed. There's a clearing that's involved. There's an indignation he says out of verse number 11. There comes true repentance brings forth a hatred for my sin." The things I used to do, I don't like to do those things anymore. As a matter of fact, I loathe those things. I don't want to go to the bar anymore. I don't want to run around with the crowd doing the things the crowd was doing anymore. I'd rather be in the house of God. There's an indignation now, a hatred for sin. There's a fear, not only a fear of sin. He mentions the word fear out of verse number 11. Not only a fear for sin, but I think there's a reverence for God. True repentance brings about, I don't want to go there, and I don't want to hurt him. A hatred for sin and a reverence for God. He says a vehement desire. A vehement desire out of verse number 11. The vehement desire is, I don't want to go back, but I tell you what, I want to live for the Lord. I want to serve God. A vehement desire to do right. Not to continue to do wrong. There's a zeal he mentions out of verse number 11. This zeal. I think this has the idea of a continual sanctification. A continual. Now a vehement desire to do right. And anything that God shows me through his word. And through the preaching of his word. I want out of my life. If it doesn't. If God doesn't want it there. I don't want it there either. Sanctification, eradica- eradication of, of world and of self and, of, and that to holiness. There's a revenge. Repentance, I think, brings a revenge. I believe the idea here is to, to make right all you can. I know of people that... heard of people, that stories of people that have robbed and stole thousands and thousands of dollars. And they got saved. And you know what they did? They turned themselves in. To do what you need to do to make it right. Relationships, finances or whatever. There's a comfort. There's a peace that comes through repentance. Peace with God. There's the joy out of verse number 13. There's a peace of God. And in verse number 15 he says there's obedience Real evidence of of repentance is there's an obedience. Now that God is raw to work in my life. I want to be obedient to him. These are the issues of repentance. Of the godly sort. And so many people have just put it aside. We don't need it. Oh yes we do. I need it all the time. Repent. Turn. Look to the Lord. Paul. Found his comfort through repentance. Joy. You know when we repent to the Lord. If there's sin in our lives. If things we allow to come in. There's something. It's like the clouds are rolled away. There's nothing like having nothing. Between us and the Savior. There's joy. There's the peace. That only comes through repentance. Don't be scared of it. But when it the need is there, let's embrace it. Let's bow our hearts, Father, we come to you tonight. we want to thank you for the Bible. we thank you for examples from the Word of God and Lord, we thank you for the the gift if we confess our sin, you, God's faithful and just, forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The big the big operative word is if. Lord, you grant it. Lord, I pray that we'd be people to be careful to be nothing between us and you. Lord, help me, help me to walk rightly before you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to, to live in this world Lord, and walk worthy of the vocation, to see people saved. Lord, help us to have that walk of holiness. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.